The Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space Podcast. Created from an atomic fireball hurled from outer space. The Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space Podcast. Threatens man's very existence on Earth. The Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space Podcast. Battles Godzilla, Mothra, and Rodan for mastery of the world. Men quake before the terror of their unleashed fury. All new, all never to be forgotten. A new high in... Visions from Monsterland. Hello everyone, welcome to the Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space podcast, bringing you visions from Monsterland. My name is Jerry from Kill the Cast, and joining me for this inaugural episode is Don and Ellie from the Horror Mafia. Screonk, everyone. Screonk, indeed. Also joining us is the main man, Cortez, who you might know from Rad Radio, or as the best filler in the horror cast. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought you were going to say my name there at the end. <laughs> no, I said hello, Cortez. Everyone. You did. You did. My bad. <laughs> uh, hello, everyone. Hello, listeners. Glad you could join us. I'm excited to be here. Let's get going. And rounding up this this trio of wonderful people I've brought with me is the 10 out of 10 man himself, the, the third best host for 22 Shots, and the main host for Cinema Attack, Derek B. Hey, what's going on, guys? Mostly because, like most of the Japanese names in in all these future episodes, I can't pronounce his fucking last name right, so it's just a fucking letter. <laughs> That's fine. I get that all the time, Jerry. I figured as much. I think I misspelled your name like three times trying to type it into Skype. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Too so, many vowels. Pretty much. <laughs> too, many, too many silent letters. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, well, let's start. And speaking of Derek, we'll start with Derek. Derek, where did your love of Godzilla and Kaiju and Japanese science fiction and fantasy come from? Just uh, just watching it as a kid, like old school, like uh, AMC, like before like The Walking Dead and all that shit started. And the, like old school Monster Fest where they had like, uh, not like... 9,000 reruns of Halloween, but when they actually showed, like, good, like, creature features and, like, amicus horror movies, like I saw Dr. Terror's House of Horrors, then the first kaiju movie I ever saw was War of the Gargantuans, and I was hooked, and then I started looking for more stuff like that, like, probably the first Godzilla film that I owned was uh, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, the OG one, 70s, uh, owned it actually a few times under different titles, that movie, because actually good time video actually sold that a few times under different titles i believe yeah cosmic monster and bionic monster and one of them was like a weird like edited version where they edited some shit out i'm like what the fuck you know like 
Plan that I actually collect almost every different cover I can find for Godzilla VHSs just to see which version is going to be on there. Yeah. So fair enough. All right, Mr. Uh, Venom, a.k.a. The Cortez, where did your love of Kaiju come from? Well, uh, I'm originally from Connecticut, born and raised, and there was a station out there uh, called WOR Channel 9. It was uh, out of New York. Um, this is this is back in the late 70s where we really only had about 13 to 20 channels total on your uh, cable system or uh, over the air. Actually, this was before even pay cable. So um, mm. but anyway, yeah, W.O.R. would have Kaiju generally Godzilla movies. I say Kaiju, but for the most part, it was Godzilla movies uh, and they would do that every Sunday morning right before wrestling. So that was like a four hour block for me it was uh, a Kaiju movie at uh either eight or nine and then pro wrestling for two hours after that i believe it was not wwf it was like nwa pro wrestling from the south but anyway uh yeah i just developed my love for uh godzilla movies specifically i had to kind of broaden my horizons on my own to discover other kaiju movies gamera and the, and the like so uh, yeah basically just growing up with them absolutely loving them uh i don't remember ever running out and actually purchasing one until i was well into my 30s and i actually bought like a big box set uh that i found like at a, a consignment shop or pawn shop or something like that it had like six to eight if i if i remember correctly godzilla movies like son of godzilla was on there and uh stuff like that and just absolutely loved it wore it out and uh, yeah, now my collection has definitely expanded. Uh, now I'm gonna—I'm uh, I, I, um, a little jealous of uh, Mr. Herring's uh, kaiju toy collection, so I, I need to get working on that. So I think that's gonna be my next big mission. Same here, man. <laughs> oh yeah, when we when I when I when I brought this idea to them and I was talking to them about it, I kept sending them pictures of, of just random <laughs> stuff I have because I have a bunch of Godzilla stuff, um, and we'll get into that here in a moment. Uh, Don, how did you get into the world of giant monsters from Japan? Uh, it was, uh, from an, it was an assignment that I had in, uh, elementary school. We were, um, tasked with interviewing our parents and uh, it was supposed to be like a compare contrast how they grew up to how we were growing up. And my dad was always at the drive-in. So I sought out some of the titles that he was mentioning and the one that stuck out was Rodan, only because I found it first. And I still remember the way I felt watching it the first time, sneaking down at midnight to watch it, turning the sound down to like channel to like two or three, and then just you know sitting like two feet away from the screen to barely hear it. And the way my face felt, just smiling and watching what I was seeing on screen, uh, something I'll hasn't been topped yet and i'll take to the grave with me so i feel hey fun fact i just got rodan in on laserdisc i know uh -huh. i saw that yeah yeah i saw that it's it's actually put out by vestron hmm. really yeah it's a vestron title i thought it was i thought it was pretty interesting uh, and as for me i got into it uh my grandfather loved to watch monster movies with me we'd watch wolfman he's the one that showed me jaws when i was like four um, and one of the movies that we sat down and watched was the Godzilla King of the Monsters with Raymond Burr. And then after seeing that, anytime I could get a Godzilla movie, I'd watch it. I remember watching them on sci-fi all the time back when it was spelled correctly. Um, right. 
Like, mm-hmm. I, in fact, the one I remember them showing the most was always Godzilla versus the Spog Monster. Yeah, I remember that being on there a lot, too. Oh, my God. It was, I felt like every time there was a Godzilla movie on there, it was that movie for some reason. Maybe maybe sci-fi was really on the going green early. They were like, we're back in Bano's message here. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So eventually we will go into like maybe a, a top 10 list of our personal favorite um, Godzilla movies as adults. But I want to ask all of you, as a kid, what was your favorite Godzilla movie uh, we're, we'll take it back and start back over with Don. What, what was your personal favorite Godzilla movie as a kid? Or any of the kaiju movies. It doesn't have to be Godzilla. Uh, I could have watched Mothra vs. Godzilla any day, anytime, any, anywhere I wanted to. That thing just... It got to the point where I would actually act out Godzilla's movements on the screen as <laughs> I was watching it. I used to move all the stuff out of the living room and I used to act out the fight and you know, I'd hurl myself to the ground when Mothra would knock him down and, you know, stomp through the city and actually act out what was going on. Uh, I actually even went ahead and made a cassette tape off of the soundtrack from hearing the movie playing on screen. So I would take that and have it going with me wherever I could because that was the only way I could afford the soundtrack. So uh, Mothra versus Godzilla, that's the one that stayed with me. Nice. Cortez, what was your favorite one growing up? Well, I'm I'm a big fan of variety, so I, I always liked the ones where there was just as many monsters as possible. Uh, so the first one that I saw that had a large cast would have been Destroy All Monsters. And yeah, that was easily my favorite, probably until I saw Godzilla vs. King Kong. Gotcha. I have a Destroy All Monsters poster on my wall right now. Nice. All right, Mr. 10 out of 10, Brandon. I'm just Brandon. kidding. I'm just kidding. I just want. I just I, if Brandon listens, I want to tell a joke to him. Just <laughs> Derek. What, what what you got? Well, one that always sticks with me when I was a kid, and I know this one's probably if you look at it like a technical level because of some aspects of it, might not be like the greatest made one, but it's Godzilla versus Gigan. Because Gigan's my favorite kaiju. I always love the design. <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. And and just it's the first time like Godzilla like like the big like tag team match between like with him and Anguirus versus Gigan and King Ghidorah, and I like the whole like little like side backstory with the aliens and what the aliens are and shit, you know like it's cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. Gigan was definitely one of the best designed out of all of it. He did just such a unique look. Definitely. Yeah, he- I'd actually almost want to see a backstory involving what he was like before the mechanizations. Yeah. That would before have... the chainsaws. <laughs> yeah, before the chainsaw and the visor and all that, what he what his actual form would look like. That would be that'd be really fun. His original form yeah. was a space chicken. Basically, well, sadly. Well, the I buzz saw chicken. I wanna see it, so yeah. so <laughs> as for me growing up. Uh, my favorite Godzilla, and it's still my f- my favorite to watch no matter what. It's uh, King Kong versus Godzilla, specifically the American uh, version of it. I that's like my go to movie if I if I just feel like shit and I want to just put something on, I will put that movie on. I wore out several VHS tapes of it as a child. I absolutely just adore that movie. I think it's it's entertaining. It's funny. 
It has great fight scenes. Sometimes it's kind of like a little too goofy and you're like, quit trying to deep throat a tree. <laughs> but you you work with what you got, you know? So with that being said, we have all came together to bring you the visions from Monsterlands to jump into not only Godzilla movies, but Gamera movies and some of the non-kaiju movies that are more just weird science fiction movies. Uh, like, I know me and Derek both cannot wait to get into Matango. Yes, definitely. I am Ooh. I am so excited. If you just listened to my top 10 Kill the Cast, uh, top 10 favorite horror movies episodes, Matango made my list, and I'm probably one of the few people that would put it on a top 10. But I love that movie. Derek loves that movie. And uh, Cortez, have you seen it? I have not. Oh, do not watch it until we do an episode on it because it'll be great for your first time watch to see what your reaction um, is. Yeah. It's good. Oh, it's fucking, it's a great movie. Don, have you seen it? I've only seen it under Attack of the Mushroom People. I haven't seen it as Matango. Gotcha. Well, I, if I remember, well, Derek, the, uh, we both have the, uh, Tokyo Shock. Tokyo Shock yeah. release and it's, it's English dub is great. Yes. It has, because I am actually, and I'm sure this will get me killed in some circles, I actually prefer dubs. I like to watch what's going on in the screen, and and a dub movie almost counts as a secondary movie to me, and I like it. I like like to see just the art of taking something that's clearly Japanese and making it American and selling it to an American culture. Some butchers are worse than others, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but so, some are not that bad. And I, I, I am a huge uh, backer of, of American dubs. And as we go forward, we'll see, we'll have some times where we will actually battle that out. But the movie today, not one you really battle out because there's three versions of this movie, depending on what you watch. So you've got the original Japanese version, which is what we watched for this episode. Then you've got two versions for America. You've got the Sandy Frank version, which is what you would have seen if you watched the Mystery Science Theater 3000 episode. They use the Sandy Frank version. In fact, I believe all five Gamera movies they cover are Sandy Frank versions. Right, yes. So, yeah. Yeah, I've, uh, I've got the box set, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, and then, man, that uh, you've got the tin case, right? Yes, sir. Yep. Oh man, that is a fan. I love that set. I'm so glad I picked that set when it came out. Uh huh. It's expensive um, now. That's true. And then there is a Americanized version, much how we saw with like Godzilla King of the Monsters. Uh, that one does have added scenes, and it's the one featuring the American actor Brian Don Levy. So that's the one I actually had the least amount of experience with. I've seen it once, but it was so long ago I really don't remember. And I'm trying to find it, but it's so far, from what I can tell, the only release for that one would be VHS. No, I've yeah. got that on DVD, actually. With Brian Don Levy? Is it in one of those like yes. really tiny cases? No, it's an actual legitimate DVD. You can find it under the title Gamera the Invincible. Oh, snap. I'm going to look it up. Yeah, um, the thing is, be wary. There's two M's in Gamera. What? <laughs> who? Why did you put two M's in Gamera? What the fuck? Who, who put that out? Alpha? Alpha, yeah. Oh, man. Okay, I'm going to have to look that up because 
I yeah, literally but... will pick up like any VHS or DVD release of a kaiju yeah. movie if I don't own it. Yeah, it's uh, under Alpha Video, and it's called Gamera the Invincible. It's not Gamera the Super Monster or Giant Monster. It's Gamera the Invincible. All right, I will have to hunt that bad boy down. See, we learn you learn something no matter how much you think you know. There is always room for improvement. Yes, and that's what we've got. <laughs> now, we are talking about the Japanese version of Gamera that came out November 26th, 26th, 27th. 1965 the budget for this movie was 40 million yen uh which is uh okay i'm not doing for inflation i took what was 40 million yen in today's japan and compared it to what it would be in american so you would have to do d uh what's the word deflammation mm-hmm. something something like that and i'm not gonna do that but that was around three hundred and seventy nine thousand dollars. jesus yeah, so not that bad, but the movie did so well. The next movie, Godzilla vs. Baragon, who, which is, hint, hint, by the way, my favorite Gamera movie, is 80 million yen budget. So that's pretty good. Now, I've got a question for you guys. So while I was doing research and everything, I noticed, uh, much like horror movies, a lot of kaiju movies get low ratings. This, this movie has a 20% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 4.6 on IMDb. Now, obviously, kaiju movies are a close kin to both sci-fi and horror. Do you think that this leans it closer to horror because it seems like it gets the same kind of punches from critics that a horror movie does? Uh, Derek, how do you feel about that? I think it does. They they get, like, misunderstood. Like, they're goofy, like, well, because they're pseudomation. So it's like, you know, like, guys in suits and, like, shit like that, that get you like they get like credit ties on that certain aspect of them you know what i mean like manager sets and stuff and some people do look at that in a different way than like us do you know what i mean as fans of these films very true uh don how what do you how do you feel about this whole rating system that that kind of just kind of punches on these kind of movies uh, I have a lot of, to say about this. Um, <laughs> mostly because I I grew up on the Japanese ones over the Americans. So I, I look at the Japanese versions and I think they're superior in almost every single instance. Uh, for me, if I was to just give out a blank guess, I would just say kitty special effects, you know, kitty special effects tone. It's not worth my time. That that also brings a good point. I don't know if they're rating which version of the movie they're rating, since it's a movie with three different versions. That's uh, true yeah. too. So yeah, that, because yeah, that, yeah. If, if they're rating that, the Sandy Frank one, it's going to get a low score. I like the Sandy Frank one. Come I love on them. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy the hell out of them. But as a as a film critic, you still have to admit they're the quality's not quite on par with the Japanese ones. I still love them. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, Fair enough. I'll, I'll give you that. But yeah, that, that's a good point. That could be definitely a bit of confusion because finding which version of there, because some of them have different names and that works out. Some of them do not. And then it gets tricky. And then some of them have like seven names. Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla. We're looking at you. <laughs> so if you don't know what Gamera is, 
Gamera is a giant flying turtle. Now, depending on where you look at, much like the origin of Godzilla, there are eight different fucking stories on how Gamera was created, including one which is very much like Gojira, where it was someone in a plane over the ocean, except they looked at clouds instead of the water. And that's how they got the idea for it. Really? Yes. Uh, listening to, I have the Shout Factory release for this, which has a commentary by the great August Ramon. And he talks throughout there, he talks about like four or five different stories about how Gamera was created. And it's still kind of like, well, who really is the main creator is kind of hard to tell. Mm -hmm. So it depends on which one you look at. We won't really go into that there. If you want to know more about that, pick out, pick up the Gamera Shout Factory release DVD because it is a fantastic, it, it looks a little under the Blu-ray uh, that's out by Mill Creek. It's mostly just a little bit darker than the Mill Creek Blu-ray. But that commentary makes it so worth it. So, yeah, I'm going to pick that up, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I dude, you, I bought all of mine off eBay for like super cheap last year. So hopefully they're still really cheap on eBay. So with that being said, it's time to go into our initial thoughts and feelings about Gamera. So let's give it away. Cortez, drop us some Gamera knowledge. How, how do you feel about this movie? Um, I'm Before uh, this week uh, watching it, I hadn't watched it in over 20 years, admittedly. I'm, I'm a little behind on my Gamera studies. So the but, last time you watched it, what was what? Mystery Science Theater? Um, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've watched it on Mystery Science Theater a, a few times, but that's the Sandy Frank one. As far as the original Japanese, gotcha. we're talking, yeah, I mean, I have, I hadn't seen this in a good, at least 20 years. I mean, I, I moved to California in 2000 and it's, def it was definitely before that. So, um, but let me tell you, watching it this time, it just reminded me what a stellar film this is. I was actually very impressed with um, the performances, the cinematography, the design on Gamera. I mean, 1965, that's a terrifying turtle. Um, I, I absolutely loved um, the soundtrack. Uh, there's very little negative I can really take out of this after watching it today. I mean, I was I watched it uh, this morning and just absolutely, I just had an ear-to-ear -ear grin on my face pretty much beginning to end. Whether, whether the movie was intentionally comical or unintentionally comical or just riveting, uh, I, I just found myself entertained. It was hard to take notes. Uh, that's always a sign of a good film when I end up not taking as many notes as I wanted to. Uh, if I end up with four to five pages of notes, then I, I, I probably hated the movie. So, um, but yeah, watch, watching it today, absolutely just reminded of how much I uh, completely love this franchise and, you know, how much I, how lacking uh, my knowledge on the Japanese cameras are. So, yeah, I'm definitely going to be studying up coming up soon. Well, there will be plenty of opportunities for that. Oh, yeah. Derek, spit your knowledge on camera, man. Well, the first time I ever saw like this original Japanese version, was uh, a few years ago when actually these uh, Blu-rays came out from Mill Creek. So it was a very interesting experience then. Uh, it was very interesting because of like all the use of actual American actors that were in the movie too. Like there isn't just like Japanese dialogue. There's a variation of like, like there's a few American actors within the film too. Yeah. So have you certain. ever heard the how they got those guys? 
No, no. So they would be a lot of times. A lot of those guys are actually legit U.S. military people. They would go to military bases to get them to come do the movies because they weren't worried about how good their acting was because they didn't think that Japanese people would be able to tell. Yeah. So a lot sense. of times those are legit military people. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they get they get paid nothing, so they probably would have done it for like 30 bucks and a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> Especially that one that looks like Curly Joe. <laughs> yes, that's right. I forgot about Curly. <laughs> All right, yeah, continue. Was... I had to. I had to drop that little piece of info in. Yeah, but like, like I said, like it was cool and interesting to see like the aspect of the film's not really all in Japanese. You know what I mean? There's some like other non-Japanese parts within the film. Uh, yeah, I had a ball with it. There's some aspects of it that you could kind of see it leaning towards like the future of the Gamera series in this one with like uh, the certain kid character that we'll get into, but that's on like all these movies too, but it's like the foretelling of that event where you see Gamera as like this lover of children in a way, you know what I mean? But he's very ferocious in this one because it's a standalone Gamera movie and there's some great battles. And I like the look of Gamera in this one and just the way the story intertwines and what goes on. I like the three main characters. They're fun to follow. I like their interactions and stuff. So yeah, I enjoy this one. Yeah. Are you going to be my uh, golden goddess of luck? <laughs> <laughs> my wife thought that guy was creepy as shit. <laughs> yeah. They're... Talk about, uh, talk about date rape. <laughs> yeah. He, he's coming on a little strong. Um, especially where like... he just kind of keeps following them. But he's not like the guy in the monster from a prehistoric planet. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> we'll get into that some other time. But yeah. Uh, all right. So Don, what, what's your first thoughts on Gamera? Okay, so uh, this is the second time I've seen the Japanese version. Um, I first picked up the original Milk Creek box set, the DVD box set. I don't have the Blu-ray set. I have the DVD set, and I. I have a lot of fun with it. I think it's great. There's definitely plenty to like about it. I do uh, have some flaws about it. Um, maybe they're nitpicky. Maybe it's just, you know, uh, maybe it's the film itself. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, this is still uh, one of the better ones in the genre. I still enjoy it. Fair enough. As for me, uh, I, I've, I mostly watch this movie as the Sandy Frank version with Mystery Science Theater. I watch most of my Gamera movies as Mystery Science Theater just because something about like hearing the jokes and being able to see monster action is just fantastic. But putting all that aside, watching this one this time, uh, I really enjoy... People who know me know I love black and white movies. I love the way they look. And the one thing I have to say, I got, the cinema photography in this movie is way better than I expected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, the use some... of faraway wide shots, the 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 composite shots they do, are fantastic. Even like uh, when Gamera first appears and he destroys that ship, and you see the people running away. Those the, yeah. those people, that's animation. Yeah, that that uh, looked exactly like stop motion to me. That yeah. that was a great. Yeah, 
Uh, the fantastic use of matte paintings when you uh, see the the shot of New York City. That is a wonderful matte painting there. I am a just a giant fan of it in general. The sets all look fantastic. And in fact, a lot of these sets are from a failed movie. So apparently, Dai would want it before they made Gamera. They, they were trying to get into the horror monster movie thing. They were like, you know what? We created the first real special effects science fiction movie. In fact, Edgy Super Raya worked on that movie and everything. Uh, so they're like, let's get back into it. So they were going to make a movie about giant rats. And uh, there were a lot of problems, including the rats having fleas, rats escaping, uh, not wanting to, to perform on camera, cannibalizing each other, all kinds of fucked up shit. It was terrible. So they dropped it, but they had all the miniatures, so they were going to continue to use the miniatures for the Gamera movie. And, it's, and I, they, they look fantastic. Some of the cities just look really, really well done. Uh, sad thing about that uh, rat movie is uh, there was a trailer for it, and it was destroyed. No one ever got to see it. Uh, uh. So that movie never got fully made, but what was made was enough to put together a trailer, and that trailer is now lost forever. Mm. Do, we so know, do we know the title? Um, I could... Nezula. Nezula. Uh, I think it was something like that, because there was a movie that came out uh, 10 yeah, think, years later yeah. that did the same story. Oh, the yeah, Zool, the that, Rat Monster? Yeah, yes. I, think that's, I think that actually took the intended script from the Gamera movie and then updated it. I I believe that is actually what should have been this original Gamera movie, just updated to the modern yeah. times. Said it wasn't a Gamera movie. It was that, yeah. the, that rat movie failing is what made them go into the Gamera movie. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I've... I've seen still. There's a lot of a still artwork online about the original Nezula movie. Yes, but unfortunately, we will never get that trailer, and that makes me a very, very sad turtle. It's interesting so, because I actually do enjoy the the, the modern Nezula. Yeah, I uh, wanted to see it because they were they basically kind of did a food of the gods thing. So I was mm-hmm. I was very interested in it, but. Uh, we'll never get it. Maybe one day we'll talk about all the movies that never happened. Because there's a couple of Godzilla movies that never happened. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, But, yeah, with this movie, I find it very interesting. Because, uh, like Derek said, from the start, we get this connection with the kids. Showing that Gamera is going to be a a kid-centered movie. But the, the thing about it is, is they specifically did things to separate them from Godzilla. They did include more violence. The, the monsters were way more aggressive. Gamera in this movie is super fucking aggressive. Yes, he is. Um, but oh, yeah. he still saves a child, even though he should have killed that child and <laughs> ate that child for my enjoyment. Uh, <laughs> uh, this was the only black and white movie in the series. And fun fact, it is also the last black and white kaiju movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All going forward w- would be in color. So that's a, that's a very fun fact. Um, but yeah, I, I love the fact that we see this. I love seeing Gamera as an antagonist because we never get that again. We never really get Gamera as the bad guy ever. So it's nice mm-hmm. to kind of see him in that position. Mm-hmm. And I had, I had a lot of fun with that. So 
Now we're going to get into the good, the bad, and the young children. <laughs> I fucking hate this kid. He's he's yeah. not as bad as as Godzilla's revenge kid. Or some of the actual later Amazon series too. <laughs> that is true. He's not as bad as some of the later ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's a reason why Godzilla versus Baragon is my favorite. God, Godzilla versus Baragon, Gamera versus Baragon is my favorite Gamera movie. There's no fucking children. Exactly. It's fucking fantastic. I hate this kid uh, with passion. He's a. Uh, the how do you? First of all, I understand loving an animal. Mm-hmm. I completely get that. I completely get the idea that you, you your turtle disappears after you put him outside. Gamera shows up. You make that connection. And you're like, oh, shit, that's Gamera. What I don't get is your dumbass going, you know what? I'm going to hide myself in a box on a military uh, thing or jumping onto a fucking train to that's heading straight towards Gamera. It's a yeah, train I, filled mm. with gas. Like, I understand he probably didn't know, but what the fuck? <laughs> My yeah, question is, that- how did they survive that? <laughs> duck and roll, Jerry. Duck and roll. Duck and, uh, duck and cover. Duck and cover. <laughs> uh, apparently, but I'm like, this kid is a dick to his sister and his dad. He's a dick to other children. Like, all he, he's very self centered, and and that's kind of weird for a country, especially for a country like Japan that is not that at this time is very much not about the individual. I love how he just like gets himself involved with like the fucking military, like, oh don't kill Gamera and they're like listening to the kid, like I would be like, fuck off, kid, you know. <laughs> I can't imagine the kid even gets that close to them in the real world. He he'd get cut off a lot sooner. I, yeah. I mean, half, yeah, I mean he actually uh-huh. No, there's actually that one scene where they're at the power plant, he actually pulls the tape up and goes up to him. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, him God. and his fucking sister get invited, and I'm just like, what the fuck? Well, they're oh. not really invited. They're just there, and then they're like, all right, yeah, come on, tag along. Yeah, it's it, <laughs> it, not uh, really invited. This movie is not very uh, complimentary to the Japanese military. Uh, that's true, but I will, I will say this: I do love the fact that another thing that set Gamera apart from the Godzilla movies is they did not shy away from politics and naming names. While they did not name the mysterious uh, aircraft from some unknown country, they were quick to point out other countries, the U.S.'s involvement, other countries. They don't really shy away from politics. When When you look at Japanese Godzilla movies, they will just make up countries. They're like, ah, no, we can't say it's anybody. Look, it's the U.S., but we're going to rename it something for this Mothra movie. <laughs> yeah. Gamers over here like, no, fuck that. It's U.S. The and Russia. States. U.S. Yeah. and Russia. Yeah, pretty Cold, much. Cold War, like, talk throughout this one. Well, I mean, that's sort of something that you see in, you know, the Godzilla series as a whole, is that they went straight for the fantasy and the outlandish. Gamera, for the most part, actually did try to keep it somewhat more grounded. They never really... Yeah, they until was... they got to Godzilla versus Gyrion, and then they were like, fuck this, we're going to space. Yeah. <laughs> that was the Hellraiser. 
Yeah. But yeah, you know, Godzilla, he, he always went for, the, you know, the outlandish stuff. You know, we're going to throw laser tanks at you. We're going to, you know, drop a black hole on your ass. We're going to, you know, send you to a different dimension. I'm going to fly like a fetus in the air. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, Godzilla more more Godzilla embraced more of the outlandish possibilities of having a giant monster around. Gamera, for the most part, actually just kept it much more grounded and realistic. Yeah, Gamera had a, a harder edge to it in general. Uh, when you look at this movie, like watching this movie, like if you watch this scene, like there is a lot of fire in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like whether it's Gamera shooting fire or eating fire. Yeah. Like there's a lot. I actually would love to know more about how the suit actor dealt with all the fire. Must have been hot. Um, oh, well, you can tell uh, you can tell that a lot of it was just a puppet head. That the for me, I noticed a lot of the shots of him firing his his flame was actually just a puppet head with the nozzle on it. Yeah, but you have like the scene where he's in the water following the trail of fire eating it up as they're trying to uh, get him to come to this island. And it's just like, man, that would to be in the suit, to be in the water, and have fire right in front of your 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 mask. Like, that's brutal. That is that is dedication. <laughs> so, also, I mean, it, it is verified that the actor was always in the suit in those shots. Because that one, the one shot that you're talking about where he was going along the water, like it didn't seem like Gamera was really moving a lot. And I, I questioned yeah. whether there was an actor in the suit at that point. Yes. I don't know. I know um, there's a faraway shot where, where he is moving and you see his arms actually kind of treading water. Uh-huh. And I guess they could have done that with wiring, but to me it doesn't look like it. But yeah, a lot of the other shots with fire, there's definitely... A lot of it, to me, I thought it could have been just uh, him actually breathing it out and then just running the shot in reverse. Yeah, it could always be a mixture of both, too. Oh, yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, that's true. But I, I'm just looking at I'm just like, like, in general, even with the costume, using your suit with that much fire. Like, we we know in Godzilla movies, there are times where the, the suit actors got hurt from explosions. And those were just like small firework explosions. And this one, you literally have fucking basically flamethrowers on set. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> also, how shitty of luck do you have to have for a typhoon to show up during your operation? <laughs> like, like, fuck. No one wanted to sacrifice a virgin. Not a single person. <laughs> I mean, was meteorology technology out. not like up to date in '65 that they couldn't predict the storm? Like, I, I just don't know. I mean, were there no weathermen, meteorologists? No one could have said, "Hey, there's a storm coming. Maybe uh, let's wait." Could be. I don't know. Z was a Z. <laughs> ah, I guess it wasn't infallible. All right, so let's get into some of our favorite things about this. We will start out with Don. Don, tell us something that you just love about this movie. Oh, I just utterly love that first attack on the power plant. Uh, that is, you know, just one of the best miniatures. That's one of the best miniatures in the film. And, you know, Gamera going around, smashing the buildings, explosions going off. Fun, fun stuff. Uh, and I love when they're like, we got him on his back. He's fucked. Oh, yeah. And then it's like, guys, oh, yeah, guess that, what? Flying yeah, saucer that, time. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, the 
they finally realize what the that uh, stone amulet was all along. The devil's stone. Yeah, they finally realized that it wasn't waves, it was actually the clouds. Which, I don't blame them. Who the fuck draws clouds like waves? Yeah. Well, that makes no fucking sense. So, <laughs> well, whatever. Alright, Cortez, what is one of your favorite things about this gamer movie? Um, <laughs> this may come off as funny, but I genuinely like this guy. I, I loved General Buddy Hackett. Did anyone notice that our general for the first like half hour of the movie sounded exactly like Buddy Hackett? (laughs) Oh, the the guy at the radar station? Yes. Every single time he spoke, it brought a smile to my face. I know it was unintentional. I'm sure that was just his natural speaking voice. But the mere fact that I saw Buddy Hackett's face every time he spoke, sheer joy. So, yeah, I got to go with that one. (laughs) Fair enough. Derek, what's what's one of your favorite things? One of the favorite things is like the whole mythology, like what about Atlantis? That's the whole reason why the whole like journey to the Antarctic started. And it goes into connection to like the nineties gamer series too, because they always bring up Atlantis in the first uh the Guardian of the Universe movie where uh Gamera's like origin was like exactly like his actual origin where he came from. So I do like that connection of like, the mythology that they kept throughout the series and it was resonated in this one. And it went on to like later like reinstallments of this movies, and uh, one thing that I really like is like uh, how Gamera is like he's like a he could walk on twos, but he also like he's crawling really fast on fours. He can become a quadpred too, as well as a biped kaiju, which is interesting. That's true. And, and I just like like the destruction of Tokyo, and like all the destruction scenes are really great in this one. Yes, um, I've got two just really big favorite scenes I like just because of cinematography. Uh, one, I love Gamera's entrance coming out of the ice. I just think like him on that ice is fantastic. And a lot of it was real ice. They would actually bring gigantic things of ice to shoot, but they would melt so quickly because of the hot lights that uh, they actually ended up damaging a sound set. Which is pretty funny. Uh, But they're also, when they're doing Plan Z and they get them to the island, Typhoon hits and it starts raining. Some of the most beautiful shots are just it showing the rain hitting the back of his shell or hitting his face as he opens his mouth to roar. It is just beautiful. Like, there are just some really gorgeous shots in here that I think probably would not have looked as good if they were in color. The fact that they're in black and white makes uh-huh. it look so like desolate and I, I just I just fucking love it. It was um, almost noir. Yes, it was. Um now let's let's get into uh things we hate and let's try not to bring in the child. <laughs> I think I think we've hit the child enough. Cortez, what's something you don't like about the movie? Uh honestly I, I did not like Plan Z. Just in general, it, it just seems so unbelievable and so unbelievably expensive. I mean, let's just think about the logistics of this for just a quick second. Uh, They mentioned that Gamera is 50 meters tall, right? So anywhere from 50 to 60. That makes him anywhere from 160 to 200 feet tall. 200 feet tall. Now, that spaceship that they put him in, the, the section of the spaceship that actually holds him was probably, what, one-fifth or one-sixth the total length of the rocket. 
which yeah. means that that rocket would have to be almost a thousand feet tall. The longest rocket that's ever been shot into space is only about 400 and change. <laughs> So, uh, so, I mean, and I, anybody who's ever heard me on my other podcast, I tend to do this where I start throwing logic into completely illogical situations. But as soon as they, as soon as I saw the size of the rocket and the fact that just that little tiny top part held Gamera, I'm like, oh, come on. That yeah. rocket's the size of a, I just, <laughs> yeah. So it, it just threw me out of it a little bit. Granted, in an entertaining way, I did chuckle. It's not like I got mad at the movie or anything. But yeah, uh, that definitely brought a, brought a uh, in, unintentional smile to my face. Yeah. Not only that, with the plan, the plan Z, uh, fucking, they're like, it's 24 hours. So for 24 hours, we're just going to like run trains filled with fucking petroleum into them and cause explosions for 24 hours. <laughs> that's like, a lot of oil. That is a lot of uh, of oil. Like we are just like we lost like eight Jurassic Park movies just in that twenty four hours. They're <laughs> fucking. We're not getting that back. I just love how they like have like these like little like flame throws all around the fucking where he has to stand to get into the trap. To like, how much do those fucking cost? Like, we're just gonna put these here so we can lure them in conveniently. Yeah. Well, here's the other part too. <laughs> Here's the other part, too, about that whole plan. You got to dig a thousand-foot hole in the middle of the ground on that island. Yeah, that rocket. <laughs> yeah, how did they get all of this done in a 24-hour time span? Yeah. Was the, were they already building the giant rocket and was like, much like the, the ice bombs they had earlier? Well, we were actually already working on this. Uh, we're not sure why. We thought maybe one day we'd have to send something fucking huge into outer space. You never know. <laughs> I I gotta imagine that rocket was there waiting for something, but I what the plan? I mean, unless this is a world where Godzilla, where they've already gone through a Godzilla situation, and that's what they're preparing for, maybe. <laughs> but it's like, what else other than a giant monster are you gonna shoot into space in this thing in 1965? I mean, it's not like they're colonizing Mars. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it's very strange. All right, uh, Derek, what's something you do not like about this movie? Well, not to get into the kid, but I didn't like... Well, this isn't really about the kid. It's more about, like, the situations. Like, whatever happened to his fucking father, they never explained why he went with the uncle and why the father didn't go to and shit. I assume the dad is staying to oversee the reconstruction. And, you know... Maybe, but I wish they didn't have, like, a little conversation about that, too. You're right, because they just drop him completely off the planet. Plus the whole like thing with the ice bombs, like why do they only last ten minutes? Who knows? But that's kind of convenient that they only last ten minutes because it took them that long to fucking do the charges that long. You know what I mean? They just like to time everything. This is ten minutes. This is twenty four hours. Uh, at least everything's on a on a specific time limit. Yeah, but still, you know what I mean. Like at that yeah, time, yeah, ve- very convenient. Yeah. All right, Don, what's something you do not like about this movie? Okay, one of the big issues for me that I noticed is that the, the final the final half just kind of seems to peter out where it's always like, you know, it, one thing pops up and it's like, okay, we have, to f- we have to do something to fill the time, you know, because it actually, it, it, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but it, you know, when they're filming it, it, 
took up less time than they imagined, so they have to stretch the film out to a feature length. So, okay, well, first of all, now we've got to, you know, drag them across the ocean. Oh, well, we got to, you know, burn the fire out. But then, you know, now all of a sudden we're going to set the island on fire. Oh, but there's a typhoon. Oh, but we're going to try it again, and then all of a sudden the volcano goes off. And it's like everything just kind of just, you know, the final half just seems like it's too many things thrown in just to stretch the time out. Okay, yeah, no, I see that because after the, after the the ice bombing, and that not working, they're like, oh, weapons aren't gonna work. The from there to the end, it just seems like at this point we're just gonna stretch a lot of shit. And yeah. if you can believe in a giant turtle, well, we hope you can believe in us doing all this in twenty four hours. Yeah, because it's like you know, all of a sudden, you know, we're gonna drag, we're gonna drive them across the, you know. We're going to drag them across the sea with the gasoline trail. Oh, but the fire's going to get burned out. Oh, let's just, you know, set the island on fire and hope that works. Oh, but then, you know, the typhoon burns that out. And then all of a sudden the volcano erupts. And it's like, you know, it's just uh, all these things thrown together just to stretch the time out rather than actually just building logically. Yeah, I'm with you on that. So uh, for me, it's a very small dislike, but it really annoys me. I really fucking hate Gamera's eyes. They just seem so lifeless and no emotion or anything. Like, when I watch a Godzilla movie, for the for most of the suits, the eyes seem lively. There, mm. There's something there. Gamera has, like, Shin Godzilla eyes. Just, just fucking super, just, like, there's nothing there. <laughs> like, he doesn't get more, like, lifeless in the, that area into like the 90s ones in my opinion yeah no and all yeah. the fucking Showa Gamera movies they all kind of look terrible this yeah that's the one thing I'll say that I don't like about uh the the suit design it's just those eyes I love the suit design but those fucking eyes are my big besides the kid is my biggest complaint about this movie because whenever the eye I almost like like look away when the eyes show up like I just want to see his body. I don't want to see his eyes. It just it just it fucks with me a little. I don't know. It just it reminds me that it's a suit. Yeah, I can get that because I mean, yeah. the, you know, like you said, you can tell with Godzilla where, you know, the eyelids will flap or you know his eyes will dart back and forth. You know, it, it there's mo- movement there that kind of like tricks you into thinking it's an actual being that it's not just you know an artificial object. You know, Gamera, you know, it's just, you know, the wide, unblinking eyes that do nothing. You know, it's just, they stay there. I can see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that that's honestly, honestly, my biggest issue with the movie. But I do think that Gamera himself, like, the, the design of the suit is fantastic. Uh, I love how they did his shell. Having yeah. the yeah. scales kind of come up a little bit at the tail ends of them. Mm-hmm. Mm. that just I feel like that would hurt if you just got graded (laughs) against that it would just fucking hurt yeah kind of part of what makes him have like a bow-legged walk kind of yeah true that man Mm -hmm. yeah I actually do like the way they make him walk uh, and how Derek pointed out how he crawls and he can crawl very fast but when he's walking he's a little like uh, when you're when you've like shaped the inside of your thighs and you're walking like a fucking cowboy, yeah, like that's how Gamera yeah. walks and it works out so well. So I do have one last question for you guys. 
uh, before we, we wrap up our gamer thing. What country do you believe the planes from the beginning belong to? Where are these mysterious planes from? Cortez, <laughs> you're up first. Where do you think they're from? China. Okay. And I base that on nothing. Hey, I base most of my life on nothing. It works very well. Derek, <laughs> where do you think they're from? Russia. Russia. Okay. Okay. I Don? just think that way because of the way that because the Americans shoot them down. Okay. Fair enough. Don? I'm going to go off the beaten track here. I'm going to say they're from Spain, you know, trying to throw themselves into the nuclear fray. Yeah. Cortez all along. Fucking Cortez and his Mussolini shit. Hey, we're always trying to take over countries, man. It's what we do. Yeah. That's why so, most of the world speaks Spanish. <laughs> True that, man. All right. We're not going to get into the genocide of Christopher Columbus or anything, but uh, I actually will go a little bit more off the beaten path. I think they actually belong to the U.S. And there's miscommunication because they're from a higher level of secrecy in the in the, in the military mm-hmm. and information was not given like it should be because it was a need to know basis and yeah, because they mentioned dropping nuclear weapons there's only a few countries at this time that have nuclear weapons true yeah that. <laughs> i can see that you know some rinky dink operation in the middle of the arctic you know who's gonna bother telling them exactly like who like they're not even gonna fucking notice so that's the, the, that's where I'm leaning towards. So uh, definitely in the audience, y'all let us know what you con- what country you think they're from, because I want to know if anyone has has ha- has any clues. Because I feel like it's one of those things where people will like dig through everything to figure it out. Like when they figured out uh, what actual day Ice Cube's it was a good day was on. <laughs> someone yeah. does that shit or like what like with it follows they figured out how many miles the the it walked <laughs> like because there's people out there that just do that kind of shit so i'm like if, if anyone's done that and they know about it point me in that direction i want to know about it so uh time for final thoughts on on camera uh i just want to say this is if you watch the sandy frank version watch it with mystery science theater it is it is hilarious. It is fantastic. Uh, and plus, you get to hear a song that you'll hear, hear in a moment that will just warm your heart. But if you're going to watch the original Japanese version, you've got two ways to get it. You can get the Mill Creek Blu-ray or DVD set, or you can get the Shout Factory one. The Shout Factory, like I said, has that great commentary. It also has another special feature on there that uh, is actually subtitled because it's in Japanese and it's someone going through like the history of Gamera and where it started, which is really good. And both have fantastic quality. I love this movie. I think this is is a great kaiju movie. It's to me, it's actually, while it has a lot of things that you will see as you continue forward in the Gamera movies, the fact that Gamera is an antagonist in this movie is what really sets it apart. But I think the one thing that we've all pointed out that people will notice, the cinematography in this is way better than just some cheap B-movie. This is a really well-put-together movie. And the director of it, this guy did tons of Gamera movies. He did almost all of the Showa movies, 
except for Gamera versus Baragon. And but we he... all know why. We all know why. Wait, why? Why? Oh, I don't... no, that's I... an in-joke. Um, have you ever read the um, thing from G-Fan that uh, you'll never eat this town for lunch again? No, they I make... haven't. Oh, they make a joke that uh, Gamera himself actually directed the directed Gamera versus Baragon. <laughs> oh, wow, that's that's funny. I have a bunch yeah. of G-Fan magazines. I need to yeah, pull those out. Yeah, it's from like, it's like in the 30s or it's in like, it's like in the 30s or 40s somewhere. They make a joke that Gamera himself actually directed it under the pseudonym. Wow, that's hilarious, actually. I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I had not heard about that one. Yeah, just a stupid in joke. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, Don, while you're still talking, what are your final words on Gamera? I movie. Um, you know, I have very few flaws, and none of them are really all that detrimental. Uh, you got plenty of like the monsters, cool, plenty of destruction. I definitely gonna give this a very high recommend. It's much better than you think it is. <laughs> I agree there, Cortez. What's your what's your parting words? Well, I mean. This movie definitely sets up a great little universe for Gamera to run around in. Um, it shows a, an amazing uh, amount of artistry with, I'm not sure if uh, you mentioned 40 million yen. I'm not sure if that was a small budget or a big budget for Japan in that year, but it seems like they did a lot with that money. The effects all look great. Um, you know, I love the music. I, I have the same issues that you do with the kid and, you know, uh, maybe an added couple of things with the Z plan and a, a few of the scenes being just a little bit too dark, um, which obviously you can deal with yourself on your white balance on your television, your brightness. But um, ultimately, love the film. Uh, we'll definitely revisit it many, many times. And uh, yeah, definitely a strong recommend as uh, if you like kaiju movies, uh, this film uh, and this set in general is uh, definitely worth owning. Go get it. Uh, for for comparison, the original Gojira from 1954 had a hundred million dollar budget. Yeah. So compared to this Gamera's forty million. So it was. And keep in mind, uh, at the time that the original Gojira came out, it and Sam Seven Samurai were like the most expensive movies Japan had ever made. Mm. So we'd probably see forty million for Gamera at at this point after you know they started raising budgets. It's probably still a a medium to low budget. Yeah. But that's just a guess. Uh, speaking of guesses, uh, the the best guest host to ever hit twenty two shots, Derek. What <laughs> what's what's your what's your final verdict? You know, Gamera, man, it's a. It's a great standalone kaiju movie. It has great cinematography. And it's very interesting that it was in black and white during this time period because there was a lot of kaiju movies from Toho even that were in color at the time. So the way that they went black and white, I kind of respected it because they wanted to tell like a forbidden story and it has a dark image that goes well with the black and white and the cinematography like you said before. And the music's very eerie. There's some eerie parts too that work well. And like I said, I do have a few main minor gripes with the movie, but it's still a fun standalone kaiju movie that sets up the world of Gamera well, especially with like some things that uh, maybe we'll get into a little later that may be a little negative on some of the series qualities. But other than that, 
still a very entertaining film. If you're a fan of kaiju films and you haven't seen the first camera, check it out. Yeah, and if you're not a fan, watch the Mystery Science Theater version. Oh yeah, definitely. Oh, definitely. <laughs> All right, so that that's our our final thoughts on Gamera. It's definitely a high recommend for all three of us. We definitely all three have praised the cinematography for being way better than it rightfully should be. So uh, that's our first foray into it. So we're going to leave you with a parting song, but don't actually go away because when we get done, when we come back from this song, we will actually be doing our Ultraman. That's right. Every episode, we are going to cover one episode of Ultraman, starting with episode one, uh, and it, it's our, it's our Ultraman files. You got to get into it. So we will be right back with Ultraman episode one. Let's open up the case file. Let's open up the Ultraman files. Here at uh, what we like to call uh, science and how science should be reported, we are doing Ultra Operation Number 1. Now, we all watched the uh, Mill Creek release. Uh I have a a slightly different box set than y'all because I have the nice uh, two-part box set that came out instead of the all of it in one, like, cheap... Thing like Mill Creek likes to do, but the content's pretty much the same. And one of one of the, my favorite things about this actual box set is, and you actually see it in the first episode. If there are scenes that were taken out of the original English run, they put them back in and just have them subtitled. Yeah. So that is great for someone like me who loves English dub because I get the whole fucking pie now, mm. and I'm super excited. So. Ultra Operation Number One. After Officer Hyatt was given the life of the alien from M78 Nebula, he has transformed himself using the Beta Capital. He flies at the speed of Mach 5. He is an immortal man who destroys all enemies with massive power. Go our hero! Unfortunately, much like me, he barely lasts five minutes. <laughs> you learn to live with it. You find ways around it. So... This first came out 7-17-1966. This is, of course, the 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 child of Edgy Subaraya. And the fun thing about this, I mean, Subaraya had already done over 20 science fiction special effects movies for Toho. 
before this. I mean, and we're talking big name movies, big Godzilla movies, uh, other science fiction movies like the H-Man and Matango. And not only that, he's done tons of war movies. So at this point, he is an expert. And I also love the intro song. It is great. <laughs> it is so catchy. Ultraman. Ultraman. Oh, it's so good. And then I love the, the credits because it's just like silhouettes of all the monsters. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the logos, like the uh, the science team logo and shit. Yeah. Science mm-hmm. Patrol. Science Patrol, that's it. I actually have a patch that is the Science Patrol logo. But I really want a pin, and I want the pin to have the the antenna that comes up and down. <laughs> I haven't looked to see if anyone's made it, but I'm pretty sure someone has. And I will I will buy it. I would pay twenty dollars for that. I don't give a shit how stupid it is. I will I'll, I'll fucking do it. Damn it. So anyway, uh, this episode opens with a glowing blue ball and a red ball and they're kind of flying with each other and uh hayata is you know cruising around in his space patrol vehicle i don't know if he's cruising for chicks or if he's just like checking out these campers that are there or what he's doing i'm Mm. gonna hope it's less creepy than what it kind of looks like (laughs) so uh we have the red ball uh the blue ball goes into the water the red ball hits Hayata's ship and it crashes. And uh, then we get a report to the science patrol. And uh, did anyone else recognize the sound that was coming from the phone? Ghidorah's Oh, Laura. yeah. Ghidorah. Yep. It was it was lovely Ghidorah. He actually makes most of his money uh, that way. He does. Yeah. Huh. he he. I'm trying to get him to do my voicemail, but he, he won't call me back. So, uh, Hayata gets taken by the red ball, and then we get to stare at Ultraman's crotch. <laughs> a few times. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like a very rapey scene. <laughs> he's rather rape Hayata at the ball. I was like, if a tentacle comes out, I'm fucking out. This is a hentai. I am <laughs> leaving. Um, but instead, he, he, uh, what, fuses himself with them? And they become one person. Mm-hmm. And and with the beta capsule, he can become Ultraman. So, now we've got the Science Patrol coming down to check out all the explosions, talking to the campers. And then we get what we, we, we all came here for. And that's the annoying kid. <laughs> uh, he's actually really not that annoying. But sometimes I he just says things that I'm just like, oh my fucking god. Like, golly, I guess I gotta stay, but I wish I could go along. Who says golly? It is 1966. <laughs> no one said that since 1958 at most. I reckon. <laughs> yeah, supposing. <laughs> oh, my uh, fu- oh, I'm sorry, that killed me. Um, so, uh, Fuji, who's the female, which will get pointed out to us, she gets on the ship and she goes out there and she's like, hey guys, Hiata told me that I need to come down here with the S-16, the S-16 sub, 
And dude goes, what do you mean? The ghost told you? And I'm like, dude, you haven't even found his body yet. Yeah, like he's mm-hmm. like, I think yeah. he's dead already. <laughs> like, come on. he Like, too soon, bro. Too soon. But then right after that, he makes a sexist joke. And he's just like, well, she's a go- girl. And they're very hard to figure out. And I'm just over here like, uh, man, you are uh, two for two, homie. Like, and it's actually funny because he will become one of my favorite characters because him as a comic relief in this show works. It works so much. Yeah, he definitely yeah. builds as the show progresses. Yes. So now we have our monster, Belmer. Or however the fuck you pronounce his name. Uh... <laughs> He shows up. He's cool. I also want to point out, does the music sound like an adventurous Western to y'all? Kind of. Yeah. 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 Like it was like if, if a spaghetti Western was an amusement park, this would be the soundtrack. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Rezor, like they hired Resor Laney to do the soundtrack real quick. Yes, yeah. exactly. So and I want to know, Kunio Miyachi went from this to Godzilla's Revenge. I don't understand where the talent went. Uh, that's a, that's a good question. Godzilla's Revenge is, or in Japan as it's called, it's called, uh, All Monsters All Attack. All Monsters Attack, yeah. That is the worst Japanese Godzilla movie ever made. But we'll be getting, we'll get into that one day. Yeah. I don't want to get into that one. Can I skip that episode? Can I not be here for that? I'm I just gonna we're all sh- going to take a sick day for that episode. <laughs> nice, I'm nice. just going to shit all over that movie. Uh, <laughs> we're going to be drinking heavily during that episode. <laughs> Yeah, that'll be our Dude, drunken episode. Yes. Yeah, that'll be the drunken episode. Oh, I know God. What are, you know what? We'll do a commentary for that one. We'll just drink and do a commentary. Nice. Take a we're shot good. every time you're disappointed. Oh, well, we won't make it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Belmer is underwater, and do y'all love underwater shots in kaiju movies as much as I do? Like, I, when done I well. Love, I love the... Like Jerry said, the done well stuff, and um, I'm definitely gonna throw this under the done well category. The the, the shots in here are beautiful. Yeah, they are. That definitely like some of the better like underwater like kaiju, even for like TV scale. This is yeah. really shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Some of the plants are even moving. It's fantastic. Exactly, and I mean, uh-huh. you know, a lot of it is due to the you know back and forth nature because it's sort of like he's chasing him down. So it's like, you know, they're on the move while they're battling. And yeah, it, it, this definitely is one of my favorite underwater battles. Yeah, I love it. This is um, the look of it. I just love underwater. Like Terra Mechagodzilla is one of my favorites. And I just lo- I just love underwater shots in kaiju movies. And, and yeah, this one is definitely up there. So, well, he ends up grabbing the sub in his mouth. I guess he wanted Subway. Uh, so he's got the S-16 in his mouth, and he finally comes out of the water, and we get a, a better look at Belmer, and uh, Belmer is baggy. Just <laughs> like Derek. He, he, he kind of looks like a fucking, like one of the trolls from Ernest Scared Stupid. You know, the one, of the, the one with the fucking fat chin? Yeah. With little short stubby arms. Yeah, it, but it's... the suit in general is just really fucking baggy. I, I actually like him better underwater because as soon as he comes out i it just he at that point you notice his arms are fucking stupid and and, and you can see like the little creases in the legs like it looks like 
kind of like cheap rubber in a uh, way. Oh yeah, his crotch looked awful. Uh, yeah, Cortez, was, why are you looking crotch. at monster you, crotch? Well, you know, I I, I need to you know kind of I, I need to see how much these movies arouse me, and this one did nothing for me. Oh, okay. I found, I found I, it difficult to masturbate. I, I, I love kaiju crotch shots, man. Come on. I just feel I can just like picture Cortez going up to his wife. Hey, baby, you ever made love to an Ultraman episode? <laughs> We're gonna do that tonight. Then he goes to the recorder and presses play, and then the fucking Ultraman theme plays. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I'll do it in the suit. Oh, if I had the suit, I'm I'm in. But you can only last I'm... five minutes. Hey, well, you know it's. It, uh, half an episode at least <laughs> give me 12 I, I can do 12 <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out what I was going to do with the other 4 minutes I guess cuddle I don't know um, but yeah Don how did you feel about the, the monster suit uh, it looks like a walking tree trunk um, <laughs> he, he looks so much better underwater because the face looks great I love the the fact that they're going for like a dra- like a sea dragon kind of a thing with him, but uh, it it's a great idea in concept, but the execution is just horrible. Yeah, this and to be fair, sometimes Ultraman knocks it out with amazing suits, and then other times it's lackluster. And I just don't know why they chose to start lackluster, but maybe it didn't look lackluster to them. Well, the other thing, too, is that I would imagine, you know, this is episode one. We're, you know, just trying to figure out where we're going because you realize the difference between Ultra Q and Ultra Man is kind of, you know, like a really big drastic shift. So I'm not going to be that hard on them for episode one, just trying to figure out, trying to get their, their, um, you know, feet on the ground, figure out where they're going with it. Okay, fair enough. Well, now we're into what we all came to see. The real glory of this episode. And for that, we have to go to our ringside announcer. The man who has the plans. The man who knows how to call the shots. Uh, Don, can you break down this monster fight for us? Indeed I can. Uh, It starts off with back and forth shoving. Before Ultraman hip-checks Bimlar, jumping on top to land some clubbing blows, while it rolls over and lands on top of Ultraman at the lake. Ultraman fights him off and gets back to shore as Bimlar approaches, but gets shoved back into the lake and tries to retreat. Ultraman grabs his tail to prevent him from leaving as the color timer starts going on, drawing concern from the science patrol observing the fight. Dodging a ray blast from Bimlar that lights the forest up, Ultraman flies in behind Bemlar and tackles him with some more clubbing blows to the back. He's picked up and swung around before being dropped on the ground and clubbed about the back again, before being lifted over his head and tossed into the lake. Sinking beneath the surface, Bemlar transforms back into the blue orb, which is then blown up with the specium ray. That was perfect i loved everything about that yeah i really do love the the fighting style of ultraman dropping elbows and shit like like a wrestler he's doing like hogan leg elbow drops and shit (laughs) yes it is i all and i love his hand beam and one of the things i actually really like about ultraman is his power warning because it makes it to where he does have a handicap yeah yeah Mm -hmm. a lot of these shows in, in this area uh, they have no handicaps. They can literally just go at like if if Johnny Sacco and his flying robot show up, 
they're going to destroy you. Mm. There's there's no handicap there. So, with Ultraman having his handicap, I, I really loved it. All in all, I gotta say, this is a this is an okay episode. It's an average episode. Uh, most of it, obviously, is spent into kind of setting up. But they actually don't do that much setup in this episode. You will actually learn more stuff as you go forward. This was literally just here so we can fuse Ultraman and Hi- Hayata together. Right, mm-hmm. yeah, that's... Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, Derek, how do you how do you feel about this episode? What what did you, you know, like? You know, it's like it's a good little little start episode. Like like Don said earlier, it's the start of like what's to come and like like little minor gripes we do have with the first kaiju that we see in this movie, this uh, show. I mean, I always confuse TV shows and movies on my own show. That's true. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know it's it's. Like even though Belmar is a little flawed as a kaiju, it's still a little great setup because of the vast amount of kaijus that we do see later on in the show, and when we do get more into more episodes, so it's a little good look setup for like a pilot episode. You know what I mean? We get to learn, meet some of the characters, like the main like science patrol and uh, little handicaps that they have as characters, and as their characters will grow later on in the show, also. So it's a good little start. So it's a okay episode, in my opinion, to start off a show with. Okay, uh, Cortez, where are you at? Um, I <clears throat> I love the character of Ultraman. I thought his setup was great. Hayata's setup was fine. Um, I'm look, you know, uh, as a viewer, a first time viewer, I'd be looking forward to, you know, where this storyline is going. You know, specifically Hayata's story, his little character arc. Uh, but I got to say, due to the lackluster costuming on the villain of the episode of Nakaiju, it just took me out of it a little bit. It, it, it took a little credibility away from it in the sense that it it started out feeling a lot like, like a young adults program. But then as soon as that Kaiju shows up, it turned into a kid show to me. And I'm hoping that vibe goes away as we go through the show. I'm hoping the Kaiju are going to look a little bit better. Obviously I'm not expecting, you know, Toho quality Godzilla type stuff in there, but at least get a stuntman who fits in the costume and maybe fills it out a little more. You know, I, I, I try to suspend disbelief as much as anybody, but when I'm laughing at the Kaiju's costume, it's taking me out of how great the choreography and, you know, some of the shots are, mm. uh, I, you know, I'm just laughing too hard is the problem. So I, I do like the show uh, after the first episode. It, uh, I'm looking forward to where it's going. But I genuinely hope that both the action and the kaiju improve, which I'm sure they do. So, yeah. All right, Don. Uh, yeah, um, this is certainly like they've said a flawed beginning. You do have some stuff to like. I mean, I love the setup with the science patrol. You know, they have some cool toys. Um, you know, the S16, and then that uh, flying ship that they're in, um, where they're you know flying overhead. Um, Bemlar is kind of a weak, you know, introduction. He doesn't really look that great. He kind of doesn't really do that much. But I'll I'll say this: if you know, I'm a 16 year old, 15, 16 year old kid in Japan, 1966. My parents have taken me to see Godzilla and Ga- Godzilla and Gamera and Frankenstein conquers the world and War of the Gargantuas and all that stuff. This thing pops up. Oh, I am planting my ass right next to that TV every Saturday. Uh, yeah, I, 
it's fun. It's fine for what it is. It's not perfect, but yeah, you know, it's better than average, but it's, you know, like they said, flawed, but perfect flawed, but watchable, I guess. It's definitely above average. Yeah. Yeah. yeah this, it, the series is great. And there's episodes where it is more kid oriented and there's episodes where it's more, I don't know, maybe teenager oriented. And some of them are just great, like, creatively, the monsters are interesting, and then some have, like, just better storylines, like, creativity, at some point there's a monster that, like, whenever they draw something, it becomes that monster. And that was a good episode, but then you have episodes where you have, like, a mad scientist who's been feeding a dinosaur under a lake. That episode, like, story-wise, is just fantastic. Um, and then you've got episodes that you just don't really care as much about. Um, but the good thing, guys, is is Ultraman, the DVD set is cheap. You can buy it. How much? One of y'all bought it, right? Yeah, I, I picked it up for 12 bucks. Yeah. yeah. Brand new. 12 bucks, 39 episodes. You really can't beat that. It is fantastic. So pick it up. Join us as we go through. And because we're not going to go in detail every episode, except for the fights. Don will be detailing the fights for us. Uh, Kaiju play by play. Exactly. (laughs) Um, But every episode we are going to cover the next episode of Ultraman. So you will get a movie review and an Ultraman episode. And then every couple episodes we'll break it up and we'll do a couple of Ultraman episodes together. So. Nice. Uh, thanks. Thank you everyone for joining us for our first episode of Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space, a podcast that brings you the visions from Monsterland. My name is Jerry from Kill the Cast. There will be all the links to all of our stuff in the description, but Derek, tell them where you're from. And you can find me on Cinema Attack and join us on the Cinema Attack Facebook group where we post shows momentarily. We're taking a like a little loose, like getting back into the thing of things through uh like the year in show and stuff so we post some episodes there and stuff we actually just posted one uh yesterday actually so check that out so uh yeah fair enough now derek if you had to recommend someone to listen to one show of yours which show would you recommend to them uh one of the like our year in show is probably my favorite experience because i never did one of those but another one, like like our standard like review episodes, uh, I really enjoyed the Carnival horror show that we did, and also the Die Hard franchise is really fun to do. Gotcha. All right, Mr. Cortez, drop your information. All right, you can hear me on the Rad Radio All Eighties Podcast, uh, available soon to be available on the Horophilia po- um, Network of Podcasts. Um, you can also hear me on various episodes of the Horror Cast, as I am the fill-in host there. Um, this month, I also join on a full-time basis. I join the cast of Theme Warriors with uh, Mike Merriman, Iris, and uh, Doug uh, Doug Tilly. Uh, I will be replacing Jeffrey X. Martin, who unfortunately will be taking an extended sabbatical from the podcasting world. Uh, Jeff, if you're listening, it was a pleasure listening to you, and I hope I do you uh, you know a good service by taking your spot on this great podcast. 
That one's also available on the Horophilia podcast, uh, network of podcasts. And the last one is uh, one more that I do for the Evil Episodes uh, network, uh, excuse me, Evil Episodes podcast uh, presents just the movies. I do that with Mr. Mike Merriman, where we basically review one brand new movie as soon as it comes out. Recently, we've done uh, The Ritual. We've done the new Hellraiser movie, Hellraiser Judgment. And basically, if it's brand new, We'll try to watch it as soon as it's available on streaming or in theaters and get our just, you know, quick initial reactions to it out to you. Let you know if it's worth spending your time and money on it. Uh, other than that, you know, I'm on I'm all over Facebook, all over the Horophilia Network. I'm not hard to find. Mr. Venom, come find me. That's true. I nice. had a, I had dinner and went and saw Suspiria in theaters with uh, Mr. X Martin. Nice. It was it was him and a bunch of and his wife and a bunch of other uh, people like Ricky Morgan and uh, Bo, and it was fun. We we had a we had a great time. Now, if someone wants to, they've got to, they've got to pick one episode that you're on out of all these podcasts. What pod? What's the episode you're telling them to listen to that's going to shine and show them how great you are? Um, well, I mean, if you're nostalgic, uh, I would say check out our next episode of Rad Radio, the All 80s podcast. Uh, for the first time, we're doing a retrospective on an actual year from the 80s. So we went ahead and tackled 1984. We talk about just movies, music, video games, sports. Uh, Did y'all uh, steal the script for I Love the 80s from VH1 or... <laughs> I, I, I wish we were that clever, but none of us know how to read. So ah, that, that, fair enough. that puts a temper on that. But yeah, uh, join me. That's uh, Mark, uh, who's um, also a host on the horror cast. Once again, Mr. Mike Merriman, Tammy Turner, and any guest who wants to join and uh, jump in and just chat 80s nostalgia is always welcome to join. Uh, and yeah, I would say that's uh, especially that next episode. We all had a great time on this episode. I strongly recommend that one. All right, Don. Tell them where they can find you at. All right. Well, uh, they can find me on the Horror Mafia, which is uh, part of this lovely Horophilia group, the Horophilia Network. Um, we have a Patreon page you can find under Horror Mafia Podcast. Uh, we have a page you can like or, and a group you can join. So uh, we hope to see you there. Yeah. And like I said, there will be links to all of everybody's stuff in the description. I always make sure to get that in there. But Don, they've got one episode to listen to. What episode are you telling them to listen to? Um, well, it's not like I really don't want to blow my own uh, special guests all that much, but um, I definitely want to say a uh, special episode that uh, Mr. Herring joined up on uh, episode 12 or 13 or 14, somewhere in there. Um, he came on with us to discuss... Uh, Bondable Snowman from the Himalayas and Jack Frost. So that was a great one. Oh, and Ice Cream Man. Ice Cream Man, yeah, that That's was right. the other one. Yep. Yeah, um, I would definitely say that one would be a uh, I think it was one. episode 13. Yeah, it was 12 or 13. It was somewhere in there. That was definitely um, one of the more fun episodes of the Horror Mafia. You guys were you guys were all on point, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, definitely been uh, one of my favorite ex favorite ones so far. Um, I guess our year-end show as well, but uh, as like Derek said, if you want to go for a review one, uh, I think it's 13. That's definitely a number that's ringing in my head for some reason. Yeah, fair enough. So uh, the one with uh, Jerry Herring, uh, that was uh, probably the one to check out. Yeah. 
I definitely agree there. I am wonderful. <laughs> uh, and as for me, uh, Kill the Cast, we just put out our top 10 favorite horror movies of all time. Uh, that is a fun one to do just because everyone's very different. And we had Carly, who I do the Unofficial Horror Pack podcast with. She was on there. So I personally love top 10 list. And I love hearing someone's top 10 favorite horror movies of all time just to see how much of it's nostalgia, how much is it just something out there that I've never heard of. Mm -hmm. If it's that good that it would make a top 10, I need to go see that. Uh, And not spoilers, but you'll see two Toho movies show up on my list. Uh, (laughs) One of them being Matango, and you can probably guess what the other one is. I I think I know the other one because it's on my top 10. It is. Um, And... So you can check out Kill the Cast. We're doing all kinds of stuff. I also do a Married with Children podcast. If you're into Married with Children, it has way better production than this show because Alex Edwards does it and I don't have to. And that's why it's better. Uh, But other than that, guys, we will see you next time here. And we'll be doing another episode of Ultraman and another movie. Who knows what movie yet because we haven't talked about it. But thank you all for listening. And uh, we will see you soon. And hopefully, Tokyo will still be alive. Definitely. Here's hoping. Dash your rich, you return, you deserve to resume your sobbing. Trying to solve your talent problems like finding new research in the murder of Tutankhamen. You still stretch it for words like the stirrers would loot the body. That means you bring lyrics about as hot as Scorpion's counterpart that ain't even original. We spent this whole competition proofing we have the sicker flow. Influenza now with A to Z, we bout to kill the show. Y'all gave him props like you shocked or you didn't know. But here's a warning. Run away. When I control it, aim the struggle rappers fake saying, Hey, they're Rick and Dolan, but in pressure time is JK. They ain't really rolling. Wanting free beats, love the way that I destroy them. I annoy them because I only scheme. Everything's a strategy by Chatterby. Casting shadows over people like drunken wings. Dash. With fire blowing dreams. You want me to turn it down? Don't hold your breath. You might end up looking like an aubergine. So let go. Listen to what emoji sings. I put it down like the line has a frozen ring to it. They wonder how I do that because I made all of y'all take five like you were feeling. They brew back. This is three headed monster music. Uh. Many the five ambition getting thrown into the beat when I abuse that. Half of these people fronting it. Get it, they can see the team, but we're revolutionaries, they're facing the guillotine, and I'm Maximilian, we're gonna try the whip y'all, gotta be bringing the bars, to determine the reason to leave it done, so you bring in the heat to try for the crunk riders, like going glove for glove with Tyson and punch ya. Run away, run away, cause we come in with that fire, we barge in and we shut it down, we come in with that fire, we barge in and we shut it down. Feeling like a kaiju, bigger than the liver spots on an old white dude. Flow acapella, no haiku. Last round, better tell him what that flow might do. King on the mic, you don't wanna fight. Better take a flight before you get devoured in a single bite. Beast with a size, 50 meters high, demon in his mind. This is not a drill, run for your lives. I be on the grind, money on the mind, steady trying to find a way to stay fly like Rodan. Barbarian, call me Conan. Hit him with the punchlines, better than Muhammad on the ropes can. Spare no man, number one killer. Smoke a fat sack, feeling like I'm Shubzilla. Roll another blunt, then I call one up. Do it every dang day, cause I need a drug dealer. I don't give a up what scene you're the leader of. When I'm heated up, I spit teams like Ghidorah. Better stay sleep if you're dreaming of beating us. Wake up and see your whole team getting eaten up. Rich. Run away, run away. 
come in with that fire. We barge in and we shut it down. We come in with that fire. We barge in, we shut it down. Armageddon's on the way, Obama said it. I've been getting armed, armored and ready in an armory with my army. I've been ready since the jump, man. Toss a mutton chomps with something right the trunk of a hundred ton. Elephants in the trunk, man. And dropping knowledge like a senior started varsity pitcher slinging a zinger at his biology teacher in the dunk tank. Leave a punk with his dunk face. With the indentation in session, it's so professional, fresh, and nothing less than exceptional. What the heck does she respect? Best expression, respect when addressing the best. Less, that's a definite yes that you play in checkers with chess. They a checker boy, drop them like a checker on a checker boy. Mess up your dress and have to start checking your chest. Add Richie Branson and genetic advancements, and you get some kind of chemically enhanced handsome. Three headed, six eyed, hide from the dark side. You might know him by a different name when you see him dark side. Swimming in the hydrogen monoxide Scientific name, triple brain, three cerebral tricranium An evil-eyed alien with teeth and titanium For birthdays, we get stupid in a gymnasium And blow out lip fuses on yellow cake uranium Don't matter what you name, record label And we ladle fit and lame labels Greater than radio, great radium Raising the rate of radio radiation Great enough to irradiate a stadium With rays made of mania but That's no dinosaur no. It's more of a primal force no. I mean three spinal cords And it hasn't even 